Welcome to Inside the Path to Success podcast, brought to you by Opulus, where you go behind the scenes with financial planners Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh to hear stories about how leading entrepreneurs, millennials, professional athletes, and coaches navigate the natural challenges that arise on the path to success and how to advance to the next level. And now, here are your hosts from Opulus, Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Path to Success podcast. I'm Ryan Greiser, and I'm joined by my partner and co-host, Fran Walsh. Fran, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. Excited for uh, today. First, first of all, with no guests. So we will, uh, we'll, we'll see how we do on our own here. Just get a lot of me and Franny today. So, so Fran, we came up with this concept just from some of the feedback that we got. So why don't we uh, share what, what we're doing today with this mailbag episode and, and why? Sure. So uh, what our goal is, so every you know four to five episodes, what we're going to try to do is we're going to call this the mailbag episode, as you said. <clears throat> and basically, you know, we know that uh, finances are something that people are not extremely open about talking about. And, you know, we post a lot of content as far as, you know, we post our carousel posts, our short videos. And, uh, you know, a lot of people I feel like have questions about those things and they want to know more about them outside of those 60 second clips. And we also get a ton of DMs as far as just questions about people's personal things. Hey, what should I do in this situation? What do you guys think about this? And uh, we thought, you know what, there's definitely more people out there that have these same questions. So let's take some time to talk about these things more in depth over a podcast. And you know, we're going to try to answer four or five questions per episode and try to go into depth a little bit about each one just to give more insights. And uh, we hope these questions help out more people than just the people who ask them. Uh, but we think it'll be good. Give people more more thoughts than just the you know the 60 second clips we post because sometimes you can't really dive into all the details and give that examples or stories. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. That's the concept. And uh, we hope it'll, it'll help more people. Yeah. And, and just like our disclaimers say, keep in mind, this is not personal advice for you to give and more so just general guidance to questions for implementing anything. Always consult uh, your advisor on, on what you should do in your personal situation. This is just you know, general information to, to educate you. Sure. So let's start with the first one. So first question submitted was, when you guys talk about risk tolerance when it comes to investing, what exactly does this mean and what should it be? Yeah, so I think it's a great question. And when we look at risk tolerance, it's really a question of of how much growth do you would you like to have inside of a portfolio or an investment and how much protection would you like to have? Uh, and a, a better question to lead with is what should my risk tolerance be is first, what's the goal that you have in mind? Are you saving for a down payment of a home? Are you saving for an education? Are you saving for a vacation? Or are you saving for retirement? So, so the first thing to have in mind is what is the goal? What is the objective in which you are trying to pursue? Uh, along with that will generally also come what's the time that you have. So if you're looking to save some money in six months for something, that goal, that objective, that risk tolerance is going to be very different than your retirement objective that you might have 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years in your case, Fran. 
to, uh, <laughs> to, to go here. So, so ultimately, as a general rule of thumb, the shorter the time horizon, the closer the goal and the objective that you have, the more conservative that we should be. The longer the time horizon, the longer the goal is that we have, the more aggressive that we can be because we never want to lose money. But if we do happen to lose some money on those longer-term investment strategies that we have, those longer-term goals, the more time we have to make up, right? The worst scenario is, is that you go with something where you're investing in something super risky that fluctuates all over the place that you need in six months and you lose all your money. Right, like this morning, we just had a conversation with someone who uh, is stepping into cryptocurrencies for the first time and investing. Like, hey, I was up eighty percent one day, and I was down sixty percent all in the very next day because of the selections that they have. So, <laughs> might not be the best investment strategy for something that you need in a short term. So, ultimately. What we take a look at is your risk tolerance should match why you're investing, the goals that you have in mind, and, and how you implement that is really dictated on your personal, you know, your situation. So, Frank, yeah. what's your take on it, though? Oh, for sure. And you know, I agree with all the things you said. I think one of the things that's really important to to note too is that this is something that constantly is evolving over time, right? Your your risk tolerance and the way that you're invested at 25 is going to vary greatly potentially from when you're 45, from when you're 65. Like It's something that's always going to be changing. You don't set your risk tolerance one time and you're like, all right, we're off and running for the next 45 years. You know what I mean? As you meet with your advisor, as you meet with uh, you know, whoever you make those decisions with, like you constantly have to be reevaluating. You might be saving today saying, okay, let's be moderately conservative if we're trying to buy a house in two or three years. Then you might buy that house in three years and you're like, okay, now I'm just saving for retirement. I don't have any other major goals over this time. So you might go from being conservative to very aggressive because you might not be retiring for the next 30 years. So, you know, like you said, it's always depending on your goals. It's about reevaluating those things and uh, you know, making sure you're constantly in line with uh, keeping on track with whatever your goals are and making sure those things match. But let's dive in a little bit as far as like um, if, if someone is in their 20s, like what is a general guideline compared yeah. to people that might be in their 40s or 60s? Let's let's kind of go into that a bit. Yeah. So uh, like you said, generally speaking, right? If you're looking for, we're talking about retirement as the goal, right? For yeah. something longer term, right? Here, here's usually what we see for, for most of our clients in their 20s or, or 30s, right? Like me. So most people have three different buckets of money, right? One is long term retirement, for example. One is intermediate. Maybe it's down payment on a vacation home, down payment on a first home, right? But some that might be 5, 10, 15 years out, right? That's not immediate, but you know, also that. And then what's those needs in the, the short term, the next year to three years, maybe five years that are there. So, so the way that we approach things, and I approach things personally, is I have different strategies for different buckets of money that I have, right? So if you look at my retirement account, I'm extremely aggressive in that account because I got time. So I have the bulk of my monies in growth-oriented vehicles. So this would be like stock mutual funds, stock ETFs, or individual stocks as well. Those are kind of generally growth-oriented things, both here in the US and international markets. Whereas the conservative items like cash or bonds, you're going to find more of those in my shorter-term type vehicles that are there. So ultimately, that's kind of the mix that we usually see is that 
for the protection-oriented stuff, for that short-term bucket, it's more cash-oriented, more bond-oriented because we're more focused on protection and getting some good dividends and interest. The the growth side of the portfolio, the growth bucket is more equity-oriented, invested in in equity-type stocks, bonds, mutual excuse me, stocks, mutual funds-type equities and ETF-type equities. And then the intermediate bucket, or the midterm bucket, is this combination of the two. Right, usually has a little bit of protection, a little bit of growth-oriented, you know, vehicles that are are there as well for for someone who is in their their twenties and their thirties. Right. Yeah. Then you know, naturally, as those things progress, right, things tilt back. Right. So someone who's in their twenties, you know, they might be when you talk about those growth things. Like typically, you know, we might see someone who's growth-oriented in the range of you know seventy to to ninety percent invested in, in you know stocks, ETFs, things like that. But as people get older and they get more conservative, right, because they know they're nearing retirement, they don't have as much time for those things to catch up in the event of a market downturn. Those things start to pull back a little bit, and people start to get more uh, conservative as they as they get older. Um, yeah. And yeah. on that note, great sports analogy that I love to use, uh, just, you know, us being football guys, right? Love, love talking about sports is that, you know, ultimately when, when you're starting a game, the goal is to, to put points on the board, right? Play solid defense, put points on the board, get a big enough lead. So when the fourth quarter comes and we're closer towards reaching that goal of ultimately winning the game and hitting the goals is to protect that lead. And we're going to have a much different approach if we're up by a touchdown, two touchdowns or three touchdowns in that game to change the approach of how we're, we're approaching the game to protect that lead, to be more conservative as we get closer to obtaining that ultimate goal. And that's a similar approach that we take to our portfolios, right? We want to grow it aggressively in the early quarters of the game, in the early quarters of our life. And then as we get closer to achieving that goal, and that goal short, intermediate, or long-term, we would like to protect what we've accumulated over the years so that we can you know, reap the benefits of that growth that we've had and not blow the lead <laughs> right yeah. at, at the end of the game and, and lose all that hard work we put in over months, years, or decades of, of time. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. Um, all right, good. Let's move on to the second one. Yeah. Second question. Uh, I had someone recently reach out to me trying to get me to consider purchasing life insurance and disability insurance. What are your guys' thoughts on these? Are they necessary? Um, so this is actually a very interesting topic for us as we used to, you know, um, we used to be in this world at our own company. So we know a bit about this. So Ryan, I'll let you kind of open up with your thoughts. Yeah. So no one likes insurance, right? No, no one, I don't enjoy paying my medical premiums, right? I don't enjoy paying my life insurance premiums. Um, but, but they're, they're necessary, right? In my opinion, right? At certain levels, right? On the flip side, you can also be overinsured. You can have way too much insurance. And in some people's cases, you don't always need all of these things, right? So from my own personal perspective, being married, having a mortgage, having two kids, you know, protecting my life and protecting my income uh, is something that is very important to me, right? So if something were to happen to me, God forbid, I want to make sure my mortgage is taken care of, right? So my wife doesn't have to worry about paying it on her own. I want to make sure, you know, my, my kid's college is going to be satisfied and any, you know, outstanding debts that we have, my income can be replaced, right? For a period of time. Now, with that said, you know, while those things are very important, understanding the right types of structure of those policies is super critical, right? Fran, to, to your point, right? Me and Fran used to work at, at an at a insurance agency in an insurance world where, um, 
you know, some of the, the products that are out there are definitely not appropriate for everybody, uh, but they come with very high premiums and honestly, very high commissions for the insurance agents that are placing them. And, and what you may need and what an insurance agent might be selling is generally not, not, I shouldn't say generally, sometimes is not in alignment right, with those needs. So, so I think the first thing is understanding of what do you actually need and what's appropriate is, is step number one. And then step number two is, is understanding what's the best type. Because Fran, you know how many policies we review uh, and that we look over for prospects that, that we talk to or clients that we work with. And we're like, this just isn't the right thing for you. Right yeah. for for what you're looking at and for for what you need. So you know if you're in my situation, married, kids, mortgage, uh, yeah, yeah, you should probably have some insurance because the risk of not having that something happening is catastrophic to the to your family, right? However, uh, if I'm a unmarried young man, good looking guy like you, <laughs> right, your insurance needs are are very different than yeah. than what mine are. Yep. No, and I, I I think that's all good stuff. I think. You know, one you know one one thing I would think about is, um, you know, depending on your situation, life insurance on top of like everyone always wants to say, well, I have that through work. Uh, the one thing I will say is that is almost never enough for what you need, right? Let's just say, for example, totally you make hundred thousand um, dollars, and your your work gives you a one x salary. Um, if you are the the breadwinner, and say say your wife doesn't work, and you got you have a couple kids. And like, say you passed away and they gave her one time your salary. What is she going to do after like a year or, yeah. or flip side? Say, say the wife works and the, the husband stays at home. If she passed away somehow, like it's almost always needed that we would always say like back in the day, like you absolutely need something. Um, but like you said, it's about how, what's that number and what's that type. But you know, like personal story, right? Like my dad worked, my mom didn't work. She stayed home with five kids, right? All of a sudden, like my dad passed away due to brain cancer. And all of a sudden, my mom has to go try to find a job because he wasn't properly insured and he didn't have, you know, he didn't have the right guidance on what you need. Right. And there's a lot of families out there like that. Like we've worked with tons of families over the years where where one of the parents happens to pass away early and they, they just didn't have the right guidance. So it's something that's very important. And like Ryan said, we know it sucks. No one likes insurance. No one likes the idea of it. No one likes throwing, you know, a hundred bucks a month at something that they're like, oh, it sucks to pay for something that you hope you never use. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, I waste money on this every month. And the hope is that it never gets paid out, right? Cause you you hope you never die, right? But it is something that is, you know, it's necessary. And the way you just gotta look at it is like I am whether I'm here or not. I'm making sure that my family and the people I care about are going to be taken care of. So um, unfortunately, the answer is yes, they are necessary. Yeah. But, but on, on that note too, Fran, is, is especially we're working mostly with you know younger people at, at this point that aren't retired yet for, for the most part. And that's the case for most of our clients. But it's also important to know that that's not going to stay that way forever. right? So the reason that people need insurance when they're younger is because they have nothing or, or little amount saved. Right, their debt generally is is at an all time high, and they got big responsibilities. Right, fast forward twenty years for me, right, 
this, those things that I want to protect uh, will probably not be a big issue for me, right? Because my mortgage will be paid off in 20 years, right? Or less, hopefully, if I execute on my plan <laughs> the, the right way. My kids will be off to college or out of college by that point. So I won't have to worry about providing for them anymore. Hopefully, if we raise them the right way, they're able to take care of themselves. And then me and my wife will have enough saved at that period of time that we should be financially independent. So while I have a big financial need and obligation today for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and I need insurance to protect me for that, uh, if I execute on my own financial plan, I really won't have an insurance need in 20 years. I'll be able to self-insure because I'll have no debt. I'll have a nice chunk of money saved. And my financial obligations will be lower than they are today as a young individual. So, so that's the other point that you brought up too, is it's important to know that not only do things evolve from investing in your risk tolerance, but your insurance needs should evolve and should change over the course of time as you execute on, on things that are, that are out there right for you. No, of course. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, I think you all hit, you hit all the things on the, on the head. Um, the last thing I would point out is like the one thing that we, I didn't dive into in the beginning was that you know basically the reasons you need insurance in the beginning is really just income protection, debt protection. Um, and that's... Am I missing? I think that's pretty much the two big ones, right? Uh, it's pretty much like, hey, when, once you get a mortgage, right? You want, you want to make sure you have insurance to protect that. Something happens to you. You want to make sure you don't lose your house or income protection. Those are the two biggest things. Um, yeah. and, the two main reasons you need it. And for higher net worth individuals, depending on tax law changes, is estate planning, right? So, so for the majority of the population, not an issue today. If some of Biden's tax law changes come in and the estate tax is reduced and some of those things, you know, then there could be an additional need for some older individuals that have a larger estate um, to do it. But you know, for, for the majority of the population, yeah, income protection, debt protection is the primary factors uh, that are there and or you know, potential gifts to, to any family members or things yeah. of that nature that, that, that's important. But yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Let's move on to the next one. All right. So, so Fran, let's you, let you kick this one off. So you know, it's been an interesting year. Needless to say, with COVID, uh, the markets, you got cryptos out there, you got AMC taking off this week and all sorts of, of madness with these meme stocks, right? So, you know, so question is, is now a bad time to get into the market? Yeah, so this is a tough one. You know, I mean, this is like the probably the number one question we get when people, you know, they'll reach out, they'll say like, Hey, I want to start investing, but it's now the best is now a bad time is now the good is now a good time, right? The answer is, you know, it's never going to be what you what you want it to be, right? There's never a, a great or bad time to get in the market. You know, Warren Buffett, like says this best, he's like, you cannot time the markets, right? You can't, you might, you might get in on a good day, the market might you know, you might go up 3%, the market might crash 10% the next day. Like you never, no one knows what's going to happen, right? And the problem is that there's really only two ways that you can invest, right? You can either drop, you know, say, say someone wants to invest $1,000 today, right? There's really two ways to go about it. You can either drop it all in at once, hope you get in on a good day, or you can dollar cost average, which essentially means you can drip that money into the market over a set period of time, right? And there's obviously risks that go along with each, right? If you're dollar cost averaging, what you're basically doing is, hey, I'm stripped. Say you just did it over 10 weeks. Say you wanted to do 100 bucks over 10 weeks to for that $1,000. What you're doing is you're basically just averaging out whatever the market is on, along those 10 weeks. Whereas if you just dump your money all in at once, 
you know, you might get in at a great time. You might get in at a bad time. No one knows what's going to come, you know, 10 weeks from now. But, you know, at the end of the day, it depends on what your goals are. We're going back further. Like if you're trying to invest for six months, that strategy of how you should be investing that money today is going to be different than if you're investing for 30 years from now, right? It's obviously a good time to get into the market today if you're investing for 30 years compared to the conversation we'd have if it's a six-month investment. Yeah, no doubt. And, um, and I think that's, that's the biggest question is what's your time horizon? Right yeah. for it. Coming back to like the risk tolerance piece. What's your goals? What's your objectives? How much time do you have? Um, and, and you talk about Warren Buffett, and along that line, you know, there's that Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Yep. Right. So, so as we look at that, and the you got cash, or you got money to invest that you want to invest. And if we look at the stock markets and investing over five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 years. The trend, if you're investing in good portfolios, is going to be up, right? So we yeah. love to take the approach of saying, let's just not be emotional about it. Because if we try to time the market, one, you got to figure out, hey, when's the right time to get out? When's the right time to get in? And it's a hundred, not 100%. The chances of doing it perfectly are like minuscule. Right. So, so just take the emotions out of it. We know we're going to be wrong one way or another. So, so the approach of dripping money in systematically in an unemotional way over a defined period of time is a great way to, to get into a market, right? Like now where things are, you know, all over the place, right? Like their market's up 10 plus percent this year. Not too many people, you know, we're, we're predicting for that to, to flow in so quickly in this year. And we'll see where things, you know, flow out. But, you know, ultimately, this is the best thing. We're not quite sure, right? What the best time is. But if you believe and you have a long-term strategy, you know, the, the best time to invest some money is now. And how you do that, in our opinion, a drip it in systematically over the period of time if you're not already fully invested. Right. And if you are fully invested, stay. <laughs> stay fully invested. Is that that'll give you the best opportunity from, from a research perspective to give you a long-term appreciation over the course of time. Yeah. And I'm just thinking back to like, you know, I'm thinking last March, right? Oh, yeah, this is one of the this is one of like the nightmare stories I love telling, but I just I think it's so funny when you think back on it. Like I remember the market was down like thirty percent or something, like back in like Mar- late March, like March twenty second, and we had a bunch of clients that were you know like investing money because it's like on paper it looks like a great time to get into the market, right? Then March twenty third happens. I'll never forget this day. It was the worst day of all time. The market dropped nine point nine percent that day. And it was like 3,000 points on the Dow or something crazy. And, uh, you know, it just, it just goes to show you, like, you just never know what's going to happen. Now, obviously, looking back, you know, now it, you know, it's great. It, that was a great time to get in, right? But on paper, like on that day, it was like, oh my God, this is terrible. But then, like, if you look a year later, like, everything is back and like, it looks awesome now. Um, so you just, it, like you said, it, it all depends on that time horizon. Like, you just got to, if if you're a long term uh, thinker, the best thing to do is not look at it, right? They did that one. Fidelity did that study where they said the best yeah, performing yeah. accounts over what was it, forty years or something? I forget the details. I don't know if it was quite that long, but it was. It Might was have been over, like thirty years. Yeah, yeah, it was over an extended period of time, right? Yeah, it was like the best performing accounts in this study were people who never uh, opened the account, meaning they just put money in there. They didn't touch it, didn't look at it for, and they'd even check the account for 30 years. And those were the best performing because they're people that were just, you know, long term. They knew, hey, I'm putting money away for retirement. I'm not, I'm not looking at it. 
I, I know over time, based on research, markets are going to get bigger. Economy is going to grow. As long as you believe that the US is going to be around for the next 30 years, things are going to be okay. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to use history as our guide, right? History never repeats itself, but it rhymes, right? So, so as we look at what happened with, with COVID and we look across people that we talk to or our clients, you know, the ones that did really well navigating through that were the ones that, you know, one, you know, stuck to the plan. <laughs> right, the ones that stuck to their game plan and didn't flinch when you know the market did fall off a cliff during that time, yeah. uh, because they didn't get out right when things were bad. In fact, the, the ones that did the best were the ones that said, "Hey, if you got extra cash on the sidelines, you know things are on sale right now, yep. right?" Like if we took a look at Apple, for example. Apple's stock dropped that same percentage of the market, if not more, right during that period of time. Uh, but if we were to ask people two, three, four, five years out, is Apple still going to be around? Are they going to be profitable? Are they going to continue to grow and sell Macs and iPhones? Generally, everyone's answer was, yeah. Like, so this is an opportunity, right? Yeah. So, so I think understanding and removing the emotions from where the market's at and aligning that with like your values, your goals, your objectives will help provide clarity on those decisions to to make good long-term investments decisions. And there's ones that, you know, added more money in actually when things were were the scariest are the ones that were really happy they did so and or where they dripped money in systematically because we just weren't quite sure where COVID was going and how big the impact was going to be. But we knew we were down 30 or 40% in the market. There were opportunities to buy back systematically. And for most of our clients that did that or individuals that did that, you know, they really saw a huge benefit because from the lowest point, the markets are up 50 plus percent yeah. yep. over the last year, right? So, you know, get 50% growth on that money is, was a big, big deal. Scary as hell at the time, right? To put put money in during that. But uh, if we weren't emotional about the clients and individuals that did that, you know, they saw a big, big benefit. Well, goes back to another uh, Warren quote that we love is, you know, be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. Hey guys, so unfortunately we... Uh had a bit of a technical difficulty when uh, we were trying to get our last uh, question there recorded. But uh, luckily, we've got three good ones. And uh, we're really looking forward to this. We hope you guys enjoyed this one. Give us some feedback. If you something you you enjoyed, we'd love to hear about it. Feel free to send in more questions. Uh, obviously, like we said, we're going to try to get four or five in per episode. Uh, we're going to do these probably around you know once a month or so. So we're really looking forward to it. Hope you got a lot out of it. But uh, once again, thanks again, guys. Hope you enjoy. If you want even more insights on the path to success, follow Ryan and Fran at Opulus LLC on Instagram and Facebook. Or check us out on the web at www.opulus.us. Lastly, the content of this podcast is not to be viewed as personal investment, legal, or tax advice. You should always consult with a professional advisor before implementing any topics discussed. 